Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the third class in our series about how the Holy Spirit unites disciples of Christ. Five ways in which the Spirit unites disciples of Christ. And today we're talking about how the Spirit unites us through liturgy. Liturgy. Yes, liturgy. What's all that about? Well, hang on, and we'll get there in just a minute. The full title of today's class is The Spirit Unites Disciples Because He is Present When We Gather to Worship. The Spirit unites disciples because he is present when we gather to worship. Now, I believe that the one of the, the most significant effects of the lockdown has been the eroding uh, of the quality of our closeness, of our relationships of love in Christ as a fellowship. And therefore, it's important that we take some time to consider what it is that will help us to, to regain the depth we perhaps once had and hopefully get even deeper and more able to express the love of Christ to one another. So how do we do that? And it's not just that we meet together in the same building. It's not just uh, that we believe the same things, or at least mostly the same things. It's to do with the Spirit. It is the Spirit who fundamentally unites us. And that's why we're focusing on the ways in which the Spirit does this. And we looked at two things already. We're looking at today how our collective worship, our liturgy, indeed does help us. All of these classes, by the way, are inspired by an article I read by John Mark Hicks in this magazine, the Telios or Telios Journal. I recommend it if you want some deeper uh, Bible study and deeper thinking. And uh, I'm going to draw some thoughts out about what he says about uh, how worship collectively and the Spirit work together to bond us in deeper unity. Let's reflect on a passage we talked about before, Ephesians 4. And uh, the Paul, Paul is trying to help the Ephesians to make sure that they are really loving each other, really deeply bearing with one another in love he calls it in verse 2 from verse 3 make every effort he says really important right make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in other words it's the spirit's unity keep it you're not trying to manufacture unity you're trying to in a sense participate in the unity the spirit gives uh, through the bond of peace one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a tremendous amount of depth there, but it's clear that the Spirit is key, is, 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 is the foundational part of what it means to be truly united in Christ. Now, last week we talked about transformation in Christ. The Spirit does that with us together. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Uh, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And uh, we have today's class on liturgy, and then we have two more to come after that. So my main point, and this is the thing I'd like us to be thinking about, praying about, and talking about together in our times of uh, when we gather, is this, that the Spirit unites us by being present when we gather to worship and working in us and for us in that collective worship. The Spirit unites us by being, being present when we gather to worship and by working in us and for us in that collective worship. So let me explain where we're going with this. So first of all, let's deal with that word liturgy. Now liturgy sometimes has got a bad rap and maybe the way in which liturgy has been used and expressed in Christendom, sometimes it deserves that bad reputation. Liturgy can be dry. It can be shallow. But let me talk a bit about what the broader sense of liturgy means. I'm going to give you the definition of liturgy from the pocket dictionary of theological terms here. So that's what you're going to get now. So it says this, liturgy came to designate 
the church's official or unofficial public and corporate ritual of worship, including the Eucharist, or we might say communion or Lord's Supper, baptism, and other sacred acts. So things that we do together that convey something significant spiritually. Certain ecclesiastical traditions, such as Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Anglican, follow a set pattern of worship, which they would just call the liturgy. Whereas many Protestant churches prefer a less structured style, and we would think of ourselves as being in that tradition. This gives rise to the distinction sometimes made between liturgical and non-liturgical churches. So that's your definition from the pocket dictionary of theological terms. Now, in truth be known, the lines between liturgical and non-liturgical churches are somewhat blurred. It is, uh, for some of us, uh, our background might be, it is obvious that we grew up in churches where the liturgy was very fixed. You had the same words spoken every uh, Sunday, not only the same acts performed. And there's, again, uh, arguments for and against that kind of thing. But my point is not so much about the style of liturgy, but the fact that every denomination, every church, every Christian group that gathers to worship has a liturgy of some kind. Um, and some are more formal than others, or some are more perhaps written down and official and authorised than others. But nonetheless, we all have, ha have our liturgies. We have our ways of worship. And even the most experimental among us, even as we experiment and try something new, we're forming a new kind of liturgy. So let's not be too negative about the word liturgy. Let's actually think about what it means. And what it's really trying to express is that when we gather, there are certain things we do that we believe help us to connect with one another with Christ, express our faith, connect with God, find the strengthening and the maturing and the teaching that we need as we fellowship together, as we teach and learn together, as we take communion together, as we sing and pray in, in that sense, that verbal worship together. These things we do are all part of our liturgy, liturgy and they are things in which the Spirit is present. And that's my point. The things that we do together the Spirit is present in them, in the sense that he is in us and working together with us, and we are Spirit-filled people. So our unity, I would argue, our unity is improved and developed and deepened as we worship together with and in the Spirit. I'll say that again. Our unity is improved, developed, and deepened as you and I worship together with and in the Spirit. Spirit is the one who enables this unity to be improved and developed and deepened. And it is in our collective times of worship that this happens. Because it happens not only there, but it does happen there in a way that I believe to be unique. So three quick points, and then I'm going to leave you with some things to think about and discuss in your local group. So firstly, we worship in and by the Spirit, don't we? We worship in the Spirit and we worship by the Spirit. As Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, that great scene by the well with the Samaritan woman, he says, God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. God is Spirit, his worshippers must worship in the Spirit. And that's how we worship and it is collective, the worshippers plural. We do this together as well as individually. We worship in and by the Spirit. Or perhaps Philippians chapter 3 Verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, It is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God. Now, the word serve there is often also translated worship. We who serve God, we who worship God, what? By his Spirit. Oh. So we serve God by the Spirit, by his Spirit we 
we worship God by his spirit. So it, it, what, in, what makes our worship actually real worship is his spirit in us as we do these acts of worship and service and so on. The emphasis does seem to be collective. And uh, as you probably know, we tend to read the letters as letters to us personally, but actually the letters were written, at least these uh, letters to churches like uh, the church in Ephesus or, or Colossae, were written to congregations. And when Paul says, you should do this, is you plural. You plural worship in the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, because you are his sons and daughters, of course, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The Spirit that came into your heart and my heart came into our collective hearts when we come and worship. And so that we call out to God, we worship, we connect with God as, as our Abba, as our Father, because the Spirit is in us. So it's true for us personally, in our personal times of, of prayer. But surely it's, I would think, even more true when we gather together, because we're being his family in a physical sense. When we, we sit together, we sing together, we pray together, we're actually physically embodying and expressing the, the, the truth of the unity that we have in Christ as God's family, as adopted children. And I think it must delight the Spirit. I mean, I think the Spirit delights in, in you and me personally, but I feel, I sense that the Spirit delights perhaps more, maybe, maybe more when Spirit-filled people of his family get together and sing together and pray together and talk together about him and learn together and have his word open and, and, and poured into their hearts together, surely there's something extra, isn't there? And we miss that. You know, this is one of the most powerful things about um, arguments for attending our gatherings. It's not it's not you should be there, you ought to be there. If you're a member of this church, you should come. It, it's, it's you're missing. I mean, you're missing something. You're missing the opportunity to, 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 to make your contribution to the Spirit's collective worship. Now, that's something pretty awesome. And I could go on about this for quite a while, but I, I've got to move on for the sake of time, trying to keep these classes at least reasonably short. So we worship in the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit. It's personal, but it's also collective. Secondly, the Spirit is present when we worship. He is present. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the message of Christ, and there I think he's talking primarily about the Word, the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, so we share and teach from God's Word with all wisdom. But, but also, how is it done? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So part of the way we teach one another and learn together, and part of the way that we edify one another together, is by singing from the Spirit. Now, there is not enough time to unpack all that, but I'd like perhaps us to discuss that together. What does that actually mean for us to sing by, uh, sing these songs from the Spirit together so that we can have this rich experience of teaching and admonishing one another with all that wisdom. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, you remember they have this persecution situation, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Did they not have the Spirit before this? Were they not all baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2? Oh yeah, they had the Spirit. So what does it mean they were filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that when they worshipped together, they prayed together with this focus of asking God to help them, 
but God provided them through the power of his spirit, something that they lacked and that they needed. And then they had what they needed to go and live how they wanted to. They wanted to go and live boldly for God. And we know that from the end of this passage, they go out and speak the word of God boldly, despite the fact that they are under severe persecution, danger, fear, anxiety is part of their world, as it is part of yours and mine, I would think. But what is it? It's something about their collective worship, their collective prayer, asking for the same thing from the same collective heart that then the Holy Spirit provides them. What does your group need? What does your group need? Perhaps there's something in particular your your collective gathering of Christians needs to be all you can be for God. Maybe there's something right now that you know you all need as a group. Well, how about gathering with the Spirit to worship together, the Spirit being present with you? Will not the Spirit provide what you need? You don't necessarily need to know every verse. You don't necessarily uh, need to have all the wisdom and knowledge about all these different things to the ways to be a gathering of Christians, a, a church, we would say. What you need is an awareness of the presence of the Spirit. I think that would be rather more significant, don't you? And uh, also Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So the Spirit is active when we pray. And again, this is collective. So uh, firstly, the, we worship in and by the Spirit. Secondly, the Spirit is present when we worship. And thirdly, church services are spirit events. So that, that's what follows from this. Church services, which is a word that isn't really particularly helpful, I think, in a way, are gatherings. As a, an ecclesia, right? We gather, we assemble together. They're spirit events. They're what called, some people, theologians will call a pneumatic event, a spirit-filled event. And what that means is that the spirit filled nature of our event is more important than actually exactly what we do. I think there are some things we really do well to pay attention to when we gather. We have some guidance from the scriptures, which I've talked about in um, a previous series, and certainly learning from the word together, fellowshipping together, taking the Lord's Supper together, and, and expressing our, our faith together in the way we pray and sing. I think those are those seem to be things that are healthy to do regularly together, but how we do them, the order in which we do them, the way in which we do them, that's not as significant, is it, as the fact that the Spirit is present, that we understand that, recognize this is a Spirit event. That's what it's really all about. So we don't have to do things exactly the same way every time. We don't need a fixed liturgy. But what we do when we pray, when we take the Lord's Supper, when we sing together, when we fellowship and learn from God's Word, they're all Spirit-enabled activities. And because the Spirit is in you and I, in each one of us, and the Spirit is relational, isn't he? Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in love, loving work and service and kindness together. They're all, they're all, that Spirit, his Holy Spirit is connecting all of us in our worship together. And I think that is true, actually, also of an individual congregation of your particular group. But it also must be true between congregations, congregation to congregation, what unites us. It's not a structure. It's not that we have a particular leader. It's because we have the Spirit. And that's true congregation to congregation locally. I'd say it's true perhaps congregation to congregation nationally and even globally, and perhaps we could say even across time. When we worship together, in some senses, we're worshiping together with the Ephesians, with the Colossians, with the Philippians, that, with, with Timothy, with, with Paul, with Peter, and with all the wonderful people of faith who've gone before us. So the gathering, being spirit-filled, is more important than the form. What would it be like? Uh, what would be the point of arranging a birthday party and spending all the time at the party 
worried about the things that weren't perfect. Worrying about things being perfect means the focus is on you, the party arranger, rather than the party guest, rather than the one we're meant to be honouring it, or the one that we're meant to be honouring. If you're trying to make everything perfect and you don't actually honour the person whose birthday it is, you won't enjoy it. Your guest's birthday person won't enjoy it. None, none of the other guests will enjoy it. And everybody will go home thinking, what was the point of that? It wasn't a birthday party. And then it's about you. What's the point of that? When we gather together, it's not about looking perfect. Uh, some of us are quite good at that, not looking perfect. It's not about that. It's not about the hat you wore or whether your, your, your shoes are all smartly shined up the way perhaps you think they should be. It's, it's not about, about that. It's not about getting everything right. And I think then this is where we can discuss things about what does this mean for our congregational uh, communities? It means that it behoves us to be spiritually minded people. That's the first thing. If we're going to have spirit filled encounters together, we've got to be spiritually minded people to enable all of this. I mean, that means our day-to-day -day life, our, if you like, if we gather on a Sunday, our Monday to Saturday life, our day-to-day -day devotional life, is that, that's the place where we pay attention to the Spirit. And that will help us to be Spirit-minded people when we actually come together, perhaps on a Sunday. And it means that when we gather, perfect performance is not necessary. And we can stumble over prayers. We can sing out of tune. Uh, please, just not next to me. But, you know, you can sing out of tune. Uh, we can drink cranberry juice instead of uh, fruit of the vine because we forgot the uh, the grape juice back home it's okay i mean it may not be the best it may not be something you want to do all the time but it it's not the end of the world even the lesson can be less than perfect and i speak as someone who has a, a real conviction and, and a passion for good accurate bible teaching i'm not saying this, this is an excuse for error inaccuracy or a lack of faith in our teaching i'm, I'm just saying it doesn't have to be perfect just because we have some standard in our head that the Spirit doesn't share. It also means that our gatherings don't have the same format. And so if your gathering has a different format to mine or somebody else's down the road, that's not something to have an argument about. It's not helpful to compare our local gathering with another unfavorably. Say, so, well, if only we did what they did, it'd be better. Well, perhaps let's learn from one another. But the point is to find the ways for your gathering to know, to know and experience the Spirit's presence together so that you can offer worship in the Spirit. So uh, a few questions here to uh, think about. You can discuss anything that's um, come as significant to you through what I've shared here. But in particular, you might like to think about these questions. Firstly, in what way does it help your unity with your fellow believers in your gathering to know that we worship in and by the Spirit? Secondly, in what way could you enhance a recognition that the Spirit is present and enabling your worship when you gather? What could you do to enhance that recognition? And thirdly, what is your part? What is your part in enabling the Spirit to work in and through your collective worship? And you say, well, I don't have any part in that. I, I'm, not a, I don't, you know, I'm not a musician and I don't sing and I don't pray very well. Or, No, we all have a part to play. We're all important. So what is your part? It might not be what other people think it should be. Perhaps it's not what you think it should be. What's your part in enabling uh, a spirit-filled sense of worship when you gather? So to summarize, the spirit unites us by being present in our times of collective worship and making them effective in bringing us the joy of the spirit and in bringing God the glory that he deserves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 14, I think this is the best way to wrap up this, uh, this whole topic here. 
Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I hope what we've talked about today is helpful. Next time, we'll talk about practicing the kingdom of God, the way in which the Spirit unifies us as we minister to others. If you've got any comments or questions about this, do send me an email, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Till the next time, take care and God bless.